Section twenty three of Round the Sofa by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Half a Lifetime Ago, Part Five. In spite of Peggy's prophecy that Susan's life should not seem long, it did seem wearisome and endless as the years slowly uncoiled their monotonous circles. To be sure, she might have made changes for herself, but she did not care to do it. It was, indeed, more than not caring, which merely implies a certain degree of vis inertiae, to be subdued before an object can be attained, and that the object itself does not seem to be of sufficient importance to call out the requisite energy. On the contrary, susan exerted herself to avoid change and variety she had a morbid dread of new faces which originated in her desire to keep poor dead willie's state a profound secret she had a contempt for new customs and indeed her old ways prospered so well under her active hand and vigilant eye that it was difficult to know how they could be improved upon she was regularly present in coniston market with the best butter and the earliest chickens of the season those were the common farm produce that every farmer's wife about had to sell but susan after she had disposed of the more feminine articles turned to on the man's side a better judge of a horse or cow there was not in all the country round yorkshire itself might have attempted to jockey her and would have failed her corn was sound and clean her potatoes well preserved to the latest spring people began to talk of the hordes of money susan dixon must have laid up somewhere and one young ne'er-do-well of a farmer's son undertook to make love to the woman of forty who looked fifty-five if a day he made up to her by opening a gate on the road path home as she was riding on a bare-backed horse her purchase not an hour ago she was off before him refusing his civility but the remounting was not so easy and rather than fail she did not choose to attempt it she walked and he walked alongside improving his opportunity which as he vainly thought had been consciously granted to him as they drew near you nook he ventured on some expression of a wish to keep company with her his words were vague and clumsily arranged susan turned round and coolly asked him to explain himself he took courage as he thought of her reputed wealth and expressed his wishes the second time pretty plainly to his surprise the reply she made was in a series of smart strokes across his shoulders administered through the medium of a supple hazel switch take that said she almost breathless to teach thee how thou darest make a fool of an honest woman old enough to be thy mother if thou comest a step nearer the house there's a good horse-pool and there's two stout fellows who'll like no better fun than ducking thee be off with thee and she strode into her own premises never looking round to see whether he obeyed her injunction or not sometimes three or four years would pass over without her hearing michael hurst's name mentioned she used to wonder at such times whether he were dead or alive 
she would sit for hours by the dying embers of her fire on a winter's evening trying to recall the scenes of her youth trying to bring up living pictures of the faces she had then known michael's most especially she thought it was possible so long had been the lapse of years that she might now pass by him in the street unknowing and unknown his outward form she might not recognize but himself she would feel in the thrill of her whole being he could not pass her unawares what little she did hear about him all testified a downward tendency he drank not at stated times when there was no other work to be done but continually whether it was seed time or harvest his children were all ill at the same time then one died while the others recovered but were poor sickly things no one dared to give susan any direct intelligence of her former lover many avoided all mention of his name in her presence but a few spoke out either in indifference to or in ignorance of those bygone days susan heard every word every whisper every sound that related to him but her eye never changed nor did a muscle of her face move late one november night she sat over her fire not a human being besides herself in the house none but she had ever slept there since willie's death the farm labourers had foddered the cattle and gone home hours before there were crickets chirping all round the warm hearthstones there was the clock ticking with the peculiar beat susan had known from her childhood and which then and ever since she had oddly associated with the idea of a mother and child talking together one loud tick and quick a feeble sharp one following the day had been keen and piercingly cold the whole lift of heaven seemed a dome of iron black and frost-bound was the earth under the cruel east wind now the wind had dropped and as the darkness had gathered in the weather-wise old labourers prophesied snow the sounds in the air rose again as susan sat still and silent they were of a different character to what they had been during the prevalence of the east wind then they had been shrill and piping now they were like low distant growling not unmusical but strangely threatening susan went to the window and drew aside the little curtain the whole world was white the air was blinded with the swift and heavy fall of snow at present it came down straight but susan knew those distant sounds in the hollows and gullies of the hills portended a driving wind and a more cruel storm she thought of her sheep were they all folded the new-born calf was it bedded well before the drifts were formed too deep for her to pass in and out and by the morning she judged that they would be six or seven feet deep she would go out and see after the comfort of her beasts she took a lantern and tied a shawl over her head and went out into the open air she had tenderly provided for all her animals and was returning when borne on the blast as if some spirit cry for it seemed to come rather down from the skies than from any creature standing on earth's level she heard a voice of agony she could not distinguish words 
it seemed rather as if some bird of prey was being caught in the swirl of the icy wind and torn and tortured by its violence again up high above susan put down her lantern and shouted loud in return it was an instinct for if the creature were not human which she had doubted but a moment before what good could her responding cry do and her cry was seized on by the tyrannous wind and borne farther away in the opposite direction to that from which the call of agony had proceeded again she listened no sound then again it rang through space and this time she was sure it was human she turned into the house and heaped turf and wood on the fire which careless of her own sensations she had allowed to fade and almost die out she put a new candle in her lantern she changed her shawl for a maud and leaving the door on latch she sallied out just at the moment when her ear first encountered the weird noises of the storm on issuing forth into the open air she thought she heard the words oh god oh help they were a guide to her if words they were for they came straight from a rock not a quarter of a mile from yew nook but only to be reached on account of its precipitous character by a roundabout path thither she steered defying wind and snow guided by here a thorn-tree there an old dotted oak which had not quite lost their identity under the whelming mask of snow now and then she stopped to listen but never a word or sound heard she till right from where the copsewood grew thick and tangled at the base of the rock round which she was winding she heard a moan into the break all snow in appearance almost a plain of snow looked on from the little eminence where she stood she plunged breaking down the bush stumbling bruising herself fighting her way her lantern held between her teeth and she herself using head as well as hands to butt away a passage at whatever cost of bodily injury as she climbed or staggered owing to the unevenness of the snow-covered ground where the briars and weeds of years were tangled and matted together her foot felt something strangely soft and yielding she lowered her lantern there lay a man prone on his face nearly covered by the fast-falling flakes he must have fallen from the rock above as not knowing of the circuitous path he had tried to descend its steep slippery face who could tell it was no time for thinking susan lifted him up with her wiry strength he gave no help no sign of life but for all that he might be alive he was still warm she tied her maud round him she fastened the lantern to her apron string she held him tight half carrying half dragging what did a few bruises signify to him compared to dear life to precious life she got him through the break and down the path there for an instant she stopped to take breath but as if stung by the furies she pushed on again with almost superhuman strength clasping him round the waist and leaning his dead weight against the lintel of the door she tried to undo the latch but now just at this moment a trembling faintness came over her and a fearful dread took possession of her that here on the very threshold of her home 
she might be found dead and buried under the snow when the farm servants came in the morning this terror stirred her up to one more effort then she and her companion were in the warmth of the quiet haven of that kitchen she laid him on the settle and sank to the floor by his side how long she remained in this swoon she could not tell not very long she judged by the fire which was still red and sullenly glowing when she came to herself she lighted the candle and bent over her late burden to ascertain if indeed he were dead she stood long gazing the man lay dead there could be no doubt about it his filmy eyes glared at her unshut but susan was not one to be affrighted by the stony aspect of death it was not that it was the bitter woeful recognition of michael hurst she was convinced he was dead but after a while she refused to believe in her conviction she stripped off his wet outer garments with trembling hurried hands she brought a blanket down from her own bed she made up the fire she swathed him in fresh warm wrappings and laid him on the flags before the fire sitting herself at his head and holding it in her lap while she tenderly wiped his loose wet hair curly still although its colour had changed from nut brown to iron grey since she had seen it last from time to time she bent over the face afresh sick and feigned to believe that the flicker of the firelight was some slight convulsive motion but the dim staring eyes struck chill to her heart at last she ceased her delicate busy cares but she still held the head softly as if caressing it she thought over all the possibilities and chances in the mingled yarn of their lives that might by so slight a turn have ended far otherwise if her mother's cold had been early tendered so that the responsibility as to her brother's weal or woe had not fallen upon her if the fever had not taken such rough cruel hold on will nay if mrs gale that hard worldly sister had not accompanied him on his last visit to you nook his very last before this fatal stormy night if she had heard his cry cry uttered by those pale dead lips with such wild despairing agony not yet three hours ago oh if she had but heard it sooner he might have been saved before that blind false step had precipitated him down the rock in going over this weary chain of unrealized possibilities susan learnt the force of peggy's words life was short looking back upon it it seemed but yesterday since all the love of her being had been poured out and run to waste the intervening years the long monotonous years that had turned her into an old woman before her time were but a dream the labourers coming in the dawn of the winter's day were surprised to see the firelight through the low kitchen window they knocked and hearing a moaning answer they entered fearing that something had befallen their mistress for all explanation they got these words it is michael hurst he was belated and fell down the raven's crag where does eleanor his wife live how michael hurst got to you nook no one but susan ever knew they thought he had dragged himself there with some sore internal bruise sapping away his minuted life 
they could not have believed the superhuman exertion which had first sought him out and then dragged him hither only susan knew of that she gave him into the charge of her servants and went out and saddled her horse where the wind had drifted the snow on one side and the road was clear and bare she rode and rode fast where the soft deceitful heaps were massed up she dismounted and led her steed plunging in deep with fierce energy the pain at her heart urging her onward with a sharp digging spur the grey solemn winter's noon was more night-like than the depth of summer's night dim purple brooded the low skies over the white earth as susan rode up to what had been michaelhurst's abode while living it was a small farmhouse carelessly kept outside slatternly tended within the pretty nelly hebthwaite was pretty still her delicate face had never suffered from any long enduring feeling if anything its expression was that of plaintive sorrow but the soft light hair had scarcely a tinge of grey the wood-rose tint of complexion yet remained if not so brilliant as in youth the straight nose the small mouth were untouched by time susan felt the contrast even at that moment she knew that her own skin was weather-beaten furrowed brown that her teeth were gone and her hair grey and ragged and yet she was not two years older than nelly she had not been in youth when she took account of these things nelly stood wondering at the strange enough horsewoman who stopped and panted at the door holding her horse's bridle and refusing to enter where is michael hurst asked susan at last well i can't rightly say he should have been at home last night but he was off seeing after a public-house to be let at ulverston for our farm does not answer and we were thinking he did not come home last night said susan cutting short the story and half affirming half questioning by way of letting in a ray of the awful light before she let it full in in its consuming wrath no he'll be stopping somewhere out ulverston ways i'm sure we've need of him at home for i've no one but little tommy to help me tend the beasts things have not gone well with us and we don't keep a servant now but you're trembling all over ma'am you'd better come in and take something warm while your horse rests that's the stable door to your left susan took her horse there loosened his girths and rubbed him down with a wisp of straw then she looked about her for hay but the place was bare of food and smelt damp and unused she went to the house thankful for the respite and got some clap-bread which she mashed up in a pailful of lukewarm water every moment was a respite and yet every moment made her dread the more the task that lay before her it would be longer than she thought at first she took the saddle off and hung about her horse which seemed somehow more like a friend than anything else in the world she laid her cheek against its neck and rested there before returning to the house for the last time eleanor had brought down one of her own gowns which hung on a chair against the fire and had made her unknown visitor a cup of hot tea susan could hardly bear all these little attentions they choked her 
and yet she was so wet so weak with fatigue and excitement that she could neither resist by voice or by action two children stood awkwardly about puzzled at the scene and even eleanor began to wish for some explanation of who her strange visitor was you've maybe heard him speak of me i'm called susan dixon nelly coloured and avoided meeting susan's eye i've heard other folk speak of you he never named your name this respect of silence came like balm to susan balm not felt or heeded at the time it was applied but very grateful in its effects for all that he is at my house continued susan determined not to stop or quaver in the operation the pain which must be inflicted at your house you nook questioned eleanor surprised how came he there half jealously did he take shelter from the coming storm tell me there is something tell me woman he took no shelter would to god he had oh would to god would to god shrieked out eleanor learning all from the woeful import of those dreary eyes her cries thrilled through the house the children's piping wailings and passionate cries on daddy daddy pierced into susan's very marrow but she remained as still and tearless as the great round face upon the clock at last in a lull of crying she said not exactly questioning but as if partly to herself you loved him then loved him he was my husband he was the father of three bonny bairns that lie dead in grassmere churchyard i wish you'd go susan dixon and let me weep without your watching me i wish you'd never come near the place alas alas it would not have brought him to life i would have laid down my own to save his my life has been so very sad no one would have cared if i had died alas alas the tone in which she said this was so utterly mournful and despairing that it awed nelly into quiet for a time but by and by she said i would not turn a dog out to do it harm but the night is clear and tommy shall guide you to the red cow but oh i want to be alone if you'll come back to-morrow i'll be better and i'll hear all and thank you for every kindness you have shown him and i do believe you've shown him kindness though i don't know why susan moved heavily and strangely she said something her words came thick and unintelligible she had had a paralytic stroke since she had last spoken she could not go even if she would nor did eleanor when she became aware of the state of the case wish her to leave she had her laid on her own bed and weeping silently all the while for her lost husband she nursed susan like a sister she did not know what her guest's worldly position might be and she might never be repaid but she sold many a little trifle to purchase such small comforts as susan needed susan lying still and motionless learnt much it was not a severe stroke 
it might be the forerunner of others yet to come but at some distance of time but for the present she recovered and regained much of her former health on her sick-bed she matured her plans when she returned to eunuch she took michael hurst's widow and children with her to live there and fill up the haunted hearth with living forms that should banish the ghosts and so it fell out that the latter days of susan dixon's life were better than the former when this narrative was finished mrs dawson called on our two gentlemen signor sperano and mr preston and told them that they had hitherto been amused or interested but that it was now their turn to amuse or interest they looked at each other as if this application of hers took them by surprise and seemed altogether as much abashed as well-grown men can ever be signor sperano was the first to recover himself after thinking a little he said your will dear lady is law next monday evening i will bring you an old old story which i found among the papers of the good old priest who first welcomed me to england it was but a poor return for his generous kindness but i had the opportunity of nursing him through the cholera of which he died he left me all that he had no money but his scanty furniture his book of prayers his crucifix and rosary and his papers how some of those papers came into his hands i know not they had evidently been written many years before the venerable man was born and i doubt whether he had ever examined the bundles which had come down to him from some old ancestor or in some strange bequest his life was too busy to leave any time for the gratification of mere curiosity i alas have only had too much leisure next monday signor sperano read to us the story which i will call the poor clare end of half a lifetime ago section twenty three